Talk about a tough act to follow. Uh, I'm feeling a little inadequate now, but, you know. <laughs> um, thank you, Mark. Thank you so much, um, Bob, for just recommending that we take advantage of Mark's presence in uh, the area. Um, what a gift to us today. Um, I want to kind of start off. We're starting off a new sermon series today, um, God Questions. And we're starting with some big ones because I think one our faith is built on some of these questions or the answers to them. They're foundational. And I want to start with asking you guys a question. And I want you to play along. So just don't just hear the question. Think about it. What comes to mind when you think about God? Is there an image? A feeling? A thought? What comes to mind when you think about God? As a second grader, my teacher, and this was in a Catholic school, so don't get all riled up that we were being talking about God or anything in a public school, um, that my second grade teacher, Miss Jones, asked us that question. And so think about a bunch of second graders tackling that question. And remember, we went to Mass at least on a weekly basis um, in school. And so we started giving what we thought was, you know, answers to that. And they were. They were how we imagine God as second graders. He has a long white beard. He wears big robes and he, he lives up in the sky and he he's really really old now some of us started to talk about images we may have seen in church you know he's he's on a cross he's got blood on him and so as we kind of gave these you know answers miss jones then gave her answer to the question. And she talked about a man wearing blue jeans and a t-shirt. Someone you might see on the street in your everyday life. Now, Miss Jones was one of the newest teachers at our school. She was young. She was cute. She played the guitar. So as second graders, we kind of had the cool teacher. And looking back, I can see what she wanted to do with us was that she wanted us to kind of think beyond some of the images maybe we had acquired either from, you know, going to church, maybe even ones that we had acquired or thought about or maybe even seen in cartoons. You know, he lives up in the sky and he's really old, he's really distant. See, she wanted us to see God as approachable as someone we could talk to, like we would talk to anybody. She wanted us to be able to see that God related to us. And I think she was on to something in that. She probably realized that that image that we had of God shaped our faith. And whether or not we thought God cared about us, 
whether or not we believed that God was approachable, was someone we could talk to. I mean, think about little kids. Sometimes they don't feel like they can talk to adults. They're often told to be quiet, right? So she really was trying to make us think. And I'm not sure if she so much changed my image of God, but she did enrich it a bit. So for us today, I really want you to keep thinking what comes to mind when you think about God. Is it positive? Is it negative? Is it just neutral? You know, maybe you have some of the stereotypical images of God kind of stuck in there. Maybe God's a judge looking to throw the book at you. Maybe it's Buddy Jesus. This is a reference to a Kevin Smith movie, so it's not really suitable for church, but I like the image. Or is God more like a police officer looking to write you a citation, catch you doing something wrong? Is God distant or close? Or is God a genie looking to grant your wishes if you have the right lamp? This may not be the actual concrete image in your mind, but I think for some of us, we have elements of that. That God is there to judge us. God is to catch us in the act. Or maybe God's just my friend. He's a cool dude. And I think there's an element in there of, of truth in it all, and yet there's some inaccuracy. So who is God? And I think this is a critical, almost fo- actually foundational question to our faith because it shapes our faith. So what you think about God, what you feel about God, how you interact with God. All of this is informed by what you think about God. Just as your perspective on someone shapes your relationship with them, correct? If you like someone, if you trust them, if you don't trust them, it's the same with God. I think about kind of how this works from a former life of mine of working um, for a small liberal arts college. And I had a great boss. I admired her. I looked up to her. um, And she was a great mentor for me. And she was tough. But she was also kind. But some of the people I worked with didn't think the same way. They saw some of her decisions as controlling or dictatorial. And so we had different perspectives on her because we had different perspectives and relationships with her. And so keep that in mind as we talk today about who is God. And a lot of things will shape that perspective for us, won't they? 
Sometimes they're things that we've experienced, whether we grew up in church or whether we didn't. What we've been told, maybe what we've read, what we've experienced. We've all had a relationship with someone shaped by something that someone told us about them, right? Oh, they're a trustworthy person. You should go out on a blind date with them. Or don't, don't listen to a word she says. She's a gossip. So there's a lot of things that come in to how we understand who God is. And so I want to sift through some of those things and then get at some places where we can really examine who God is. And so today may be the first time you've ever thought about this. Maybe you've just kind of always thought, this is, this is God and that's what it is. But I think it's important for us to sometimes evaluate what we think and why we think it. And sometimes to even go back and revisit the basics. Because sometimes things get out of alignment, don't they? Because what we think about God can inhibit or fuel our everyday faith. And so today we're going to start with who is God. Because I think it's foundational. And sometimes we need to make sure that our foundation is firm so that we can weather the storms of life. So what do we think about when we think about God? Your answer determines your relationship with God. And if your relationship with God isn't meaningful, is it because your image of God is lacking? Or maybe even inaccurate? If you are not sure that God is interested in you, or even likes you, I would say your view of God is inaccurate. And for those of you who are sitting there going, I've got a handle on this, this is a great opportunity to revisit the basics and reaffirm them. Because we need to constantly remind ourselves of who God is. Now, I shared with you I, I attended Catholic school. I attended Catholic school from the time I was in second grade to about fifth grade. But my family didn't really attend church regularly. We went mostly on Easter, and I remember it because we would go, and it was usually a sunrise service, and I got to wear Polly Flender dress, and if you know what that is, you're, you're old like me. Um, I still have some of those tucked away in a hope chest that my husband says weighs too much. And in addition to Easter, I would sometimes go when I stayed the weekend with my aunt and uncle. Because they always went to church. They just, that was a regular part of their week. And so when I was there over the weekend, of course I went with them. And I, I treasure those memories with them. But as a rule, we didn't go to church a lot as a family. And so when I was about in sixth grade, a friend of mine, Christina, she invited me to church. And I remember that her church was so very different from my aunt and uncle's little Lutheran church. 
This church was big. And they didn't have pews. They had chairs. And that was just weird. Because, I mean, it's so much easier to turn around in a pew and color that way when you're a little kid. I mean, if you sit in a chair, you kind of just got to sit in the chair. But I remember Christina asking me, and I went with her family, and like I said, it was a little different, a little different experience than what I had had growing up at, with my aunt and uncle. And this is my one kind of major takeaway, other than the church was big and we sat on chairs, is that the message the pastor preached on really stuck with me. And keep in mind, this is, this is a, you know, a sixth grader and how I heard it and internalized it. It could have been totally different, but this is what I took away. Is that God doesn't always hear our prayers. Now again, I could have missed something. I could have misheard it. But what I heard was that God doesn't always hear our prayers. And I remember some of the examples of if you weren't serious in your prayer, or maybe you prayed and then fell asleep in the middle of it, God didn't hear it, or it didn't count. And so this shaped my image of God for years. I believed that I had to be so serious when I prayed, and I had to pray the right way. And that if I prayed in bed and fell asleep, it just didn't count. Now, I've since kind of had my view on that change, and I believe that prayer is a conversation with God. And that conversation can happen in a variety of ways. And then I believe that God is everywhere, and God is aware of everything. So the idea that God doesn't hear my prayers is false. But you can imagine how having that perspective shaped my interaction with God until it changed. It made it so very more formal. It actually limited my relationship with God because I'm like, if I can't do it right, I might as well not do it. So I had to ask myself again, who is God? And one of the best ways that I have learned to know this is through prayer, through reading the Bible, actually, you know, looking into God's story to see who that tells me God is, and then experiencing God in worship and in service. You see, when we read the Bible, we start to see that God shows up. And when God shows up, he always tends to break the categories, doesn't he? He won't fit in a box. Because it's so much less about understanding and much more about knowing. And today I'm going to give us a little bit of a shortcut to this answer. To knowing who God is. And that's to start with Jesus. Jesus consistently through scripture shows us who God is. What God is like. What it is to know God. What it is to be in relationship with God. And I think that's the most critical thing. And I want to look at this particular scene in John's Gospels where his disciples have come to him. 
And Jesus has been talking about God, and he's been describing who God is and, and what's, what's happening in this. And finally, Philip, one of the disciples, looks at Jesus, and he's like, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. This guy pops up in the middle of this to ask Jesus this, like, just show him to us, and we'll get it. We'll get who God is. We'll get who the Father is as you describe him. That'll be it. We'll be good. I have this strange feeling that it probably wouldn't have been enough, but I think Philip truly believed that. But Jesus' answer to this points us in that direction again. Don't you know me, Philip? Haven't you spent time with me? We've been traveling together. We've spent time together. You know, and you really get to know someone on a road trip, don't you? And this is what Jesus' disciples experienced with him. Not just seeing him publicly teach, but then having kind of that private one-on-one with Jesus to how, what does this really mean? And then spending time getting to see that who is up front is also who is behind the scenes. And then Jesus delivers this line. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Meaning if you know me, you know the Father. You don't need any more than that. If you know my character, Philip, you know who I am, my nature, what I'm likely to do, you know God. And we'll see this again and again. Jesus showing us what a relationship with God looks like, how he interacts with God, and then how he points his disciples to the Father. And I want to point out one other episode in the Gospels where the disciples are again looking to Jesus and saying, you have this rich relationship with God. Show us how it's done. And they're talking specifically about prayer. We've noticed that you you have this amazing ability to connect with God. Show us how it's done. They want to know how Jesus does it because they want the same thing. And they ask him, teach us. Teach us to pray. And Jesus gives them what we call the Lord's Prayer. You can find it in Matthew 6, but you can also find it right up on the wall there in that artwork. Our Father, who art in heaven, And some of you may have memorized it like I did. Maybe you didn't go to Catholic school, but I was required to memorize it. But I'm I'm grateful that I have it. Because it's this amazing thing that Jesus gave of, of not only a prayer, but also model for prayer. But I want us to grab on to how Jesus starts it. Our Father. Not the Father, my Father, our Father. Now, we know, as we just kind of probably heard this again in December, is our Christmas stories of how Jesus is the Son of God. So, of course, he would call God Father. My Father, the Father. And we'll see this throughout the Gospels. Jesus will refer to God again and again as Father especially in the Gospel of John. 
But here, in this prayer, where the disciples are asking, teach us how to pray, teach us that way, he starts with this means of addressing God. Not holy God of the universe, almost powerful one, which is very distant language, isn't it? It definitely places God in the appropriate place, right? Holy, one worthy of worship. But that's not how Jesus starts. Jesus starts with intimate, personal language. Our Father. Our Father. Think about that. This is family language. This is collective. A signal that we are one family, that we belong, that we are already in relationship with God. Our Father. Father implies relationship off the bat because to be a father, you have to have children, don't you? And I think that is so fascinating how Jesus defines God for us in that. Father. And the thing is that Jesus' disciples picked up on this. They picked up on it so much that early Christians followed suit. That Paul, in his letters, often references God our Father. He does this in his Corinthians letters. He does this in Galatians. He does it in Ephesians, Philippians, Philemon, Thessalonians, etc. Paul, a man who never met Jesus, who actually persecuted the church until he had an experience with the living God and then changes his whole life to follow Jesus and to tell people about this, embraces the idea that God is Father. Here's an interesting fact for y'all, is that Paul's letters are some of the earliest writings we have in the New Testament. It's not the Gospels, it's the letters. You see, as the community was forming after Jesus' death and resurrection, that followers spread out and they shared the good news. And then they communicated with one another through these letters. These letters became not only a means to connect, but also to teach And so we see early on the church has embraced this idea that God is Father. And then as the church grew and they realized they might have write this story down so that it could be shared, then the Gospels came along. So what this tells us is that the early church lived the idea that God is our Father from the very beginning. And that defining God as our Heavenly Father gives us a, re- a really powerful reference point to know who God is. It's centered in relationship. And if you think about parents lead us, guide us, love us, nurture us. What do you think about when you think about God. 
Is it the image of a loving parent who is good, loving, and who has your best interest at heart? If this was your image of God, if this is what you think about when you think about God, what does that change about your faith? Does it make trusting easier? I think it does. And I think about how Jesus interacts with God as Father. It's always loving. And Jesus' encouragement of his followers to do the same, to relate to God as Father in this intimate, in this sentimental, in this affectionate manner, our Father. And the thing is that this Father, this Father doesn't need anything from us. This Father isn't looking to live vicariously through us or control us. This is a father who wants to be in relationship with us, who wants good things for us. And I get, I get the reality that this can be a hard image for many of us to embrace. That some of us very well just can't accept it. That our very image of God is clouded by our insecurity. We believe God couldn't possibly love us like that. We couldn't really admit and make ourselves so vulnerable to know that God loves us so deeply. But it's the truth. And this is why we, why we engage in scripture to hear about that love. It's why we engage in prayer to hear his voice answer the doubt with his affection for us. It's why we engage in community to hear others echo that truth back to us. To say it aloud when we can't even get there. So you may be one of those people who find it so hard to accept God's love. That the idea of God as Father is just so foreign. And I, I encourage you to, to let some of that go. To know that it has nothing to do with you and everything to do with him. That God by his very nature is love. And so no matter what you have done or who you are, God loves you. Deeply, intimately, fully. And I know that there is another category of people who cannot accept this truth because the idea of God as Father is revolting. Because maybe their dad was absent or abusive. And they're thinking, if God is like my father, no thank you. (laughs) No thank you, sir. 
But that's the point, isn't it? He's not like your dad. He's the dad you really should have had. Loving, compassionate, nurturing. A father who is for you, not against you. Who is with you, not absent. So who is God? What image comes to mind when you think about God? And Are there some images that are inaccurate that you need to let go of? And I think that we often need to remind ourselves daily who God is. That God loves us as a good father. A perfect father. And then we need to lean into that example that Jesus himself gives us. And I want to give you some permission. If the idea of God as Father is really hard for you, let go of the word. Let go of the word itself. If the word has so much baggage that you just can't get beyond it, don't worry about it. Focus on what it means. Focus on what it means. That God is already in relationship with us. That God loves us. That he is for you and for me. That he is with us. This is what is foundational. That when we can lay that as our foundation of who God is, everything else starts to fall into place. So we may need to take some time and examine who is God, what comes to mind, and if it doesn't line up with this, we need to let it go. If it is anything less, then we need to allow ourselves the time to just sit with the image of a good, loving parent who will not abandon nor forsake us. That when we have that image, think about that. Think about how many of your decisions in life might be different if you had that confidence of knowing how deeply you were loved. Think about how many storms you might be able to weather because of that. It might not change the circumstance of losing your job or having life fall apart at times. But knowing that you are loved and that you cannot possibly lose that love means that you can face the next day because all is not lost. And so I want to give you one final verse, and this may become a verse for you to just sit with. It's from 1 John 3.1. 
It's a powerful verse. It may need to just be something that you read daily for a season because you need to learn the truth of it in your bones. It's this. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. There is power in knowing who God is because it shapes who we believe we are to be and who we are. And so, as we take time now to go to communion, which is an opportunity every week here at Church in the Mall to sit with the knowledge of what God did on our behalf, to partake of bread and juice in remembrance of that. There's a reason why Jesus gave us the table, this image of what was done so that we could always remember who he is, what he's done for us, and take courage from that. that the everyday symbol of bread is broken so that it may be shared and may give nourishment. Reminding us once again